are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Online at BethanyNaz.org. After a lot of conversations with people about what we believe, a lot of people said to me, but Rick, what if I don't know what I believe, especially about a particular issue? And so we started a series last year and we went eight weeks and we've started back this year for eight more weeks talking about our articles of faith. So this is the core of what we believe as a church and I'm very excited to talk to them about you today, to talk about them to you today is what I meant to say. Now, if you would say, I've been coming to these series and, and, I, and I'm liking them, but I would like to kind of have an overview. It just so happens that tonight at 6 o'clock I'll be teaching in room 120 a membership and beliefs class. You don't have to be like committed to becoming a member, but if you just want to know more about what we believe, that would be the class for you. You don't have to sign up. Just show up. We'll be glad to have you there. Okay? So I'm excited to share God's Word with you this morning. Here we go. I, I was at a lunch this past week with some friends. And five guys sitting around table together at Chili's. And this conversation became very serious. And, and one of the guys says to us, So there was this season in my life where that I was going to this church and I was listening to a series of sermons and I felt like God was speaking to me and God was doing something inside of me. And He says, at some point, something happened to me and I was changed. And I've never been the same again. And here's how He explained it. He said, His hands are up. He's kind of staring at the table. You can tell He's searching for words. And he finally said, that was the season of my life when I became, and he looks up and he says, I mean, just all in, in my relationship with God. So, are you all in? Do you remember like a season of your life where you said, that's when I became just all in, you know? I was with a friend of mine a couple of months ago, and and there was a book laying beside him and I said to him is that a good book and he said I I just started it and then he got on his phone and so I picked up the book and I started flipping through and I started reading segments from the book and I read some words that were burned into my spirit okay and here were the words we only give people enough Jesus to keep them bored we only give people enough Jesus to keep them bored. But we don't give them enough Jesus to let them feel the surge of holy adrenaline that rushes through our veins when we decide to follow Jesus, 
no matter what, no matter where, no matter when. We only give people enough Jesus to bore them. We don't give them enough to fill that holy surge of adrenaline that rushes through a person's veins when they decide to follow Jesus no matter what, no matter where, no matter when. See, what I want to ask you this morning about what you believe, because that's what it's about. It's about what you believe. Do you believe that you can actually come to a place in your own life in your own walk with God, in your own faith journey, where that you can love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do you believe that's a possibility? Do you believe that you, not the person beside you, but that you could get to a point in your life where you could love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself? Because that's what we mean when we talk about entire sanctification. And that's the article of faith we're dealing with. Do you believe that you can finally come to this place that you are free from the power of sin? That you are free from the grip that sin has on you? So there was a guy named John Wesley who lived in the 18th century. And he recovered for the church this incredible teaching of sanctification. And here's how he talked about it. He said, you know, it's really simple. It's simply this. It's unmixed love. It's just unmixed love. It's like where I love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, and it's not mixed with love for the world or love for things or love for my own selfish desires. It's just love that's unmixed. It's just pure love for God. I love God with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, and that love is not mixed up with all this other love for the world and for things and for my own selfish desires. It's just loving God. And so, here's what happened when Jesus one day was asked a question. And it was really supposed to be a trap. And the question they asked him was this, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And so Jesus responds in the book of Matthew, chapter 22, beginning with verse 37, okay? And, and here's what Jesus said. Here was how Jesus responded. He said, you want to know what the greatest commandment is? I'll give you the greatest commandment. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So this is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is unmixed love. Because all of the law and all the prophets, they hang on these two commandments. So this is God's word for us today. So here's what I'd like to do. I want to talk about you. Okay, so if you're a teenager here this morning... Uh, I want to talk about you. If you're a college student, I want to talk about you. If you're a mom, dad, I want to talk about you. So I want you just to do me this favor and just lean in for a minute and let's think about where you are in your walk with God, okay? So let's use hot and cold. On fire would be just like, I mean, I'm just on fire for God, Rick. I mean, I'm just, I am on fire. My walk with God could not be better. Or maybe you might say, I don't know that I'm on fire. Maybe I remember what it's like to be on fire, but I'm definitely hot. 
I mean, me and God, we're doing well. I'm doing well in my journey with God. Others might say, uh, hot may be overdoing it. I might, I might describe myself as warm, okay? Others might say, lukewarm. I mean, you might be here and you might just be really honest with yourself and God. And you might say, if I was going to talk about my journey with God today, it would probably be some more like, uh, cool. I'm not doing so well. And, and others might say, okay, Rick, if I'm going to be totally honest, I'm going to have to go with cold. I'm, um, I feel like I'm pretty distant. I feel like I'm keeping God at a distance. I'm not, I'm not doing well in my walk at all. Not doing well at all. So, tell me if you can resonate with this idea. Uh, I got saved. I became a follower of Jesus. I was really excited about the fact that I was forgiven of my sin. And this new walk with Jesus was awesome. I mean, it was awesome. I was just, you know, I was, I was like, I'm changed. He has done something inside of me. My heart is different. My values have changed. My life is different. I truly am a follower of Jesus. But after all of that joy and excitement began to kind of wear off a bit, and I began living life every day, um, I noticed that there was some disappointments because there was still some sin that I was working through, you know? And sometimes I was very disappointed in the way I behaved. Like I'm going, that's, that's pretty much all out sin right there. Or maybe really disappointed in some of my thoughts. And, and maybe even beyond that, you would say it, it, it was different than that too because it was this it was like I was a non-factor. I wasn't doing anything. And Jesus was asking me to do a lot of different things. And I wasn't doing those things. And I began to ask myself, is this really how a Christian lives? Is this how a Christian thinks? Is this how a Christian behaves? So John Wesley was called a Methodist. Do you know why he was called a Methodist? Because he was methodical. Really, that's the reason. That's where the word comes from. And so he was very methodical in the process of discipling new believers, okay? And he was very methodical in lots of note-taking and journal writing. And, and he would even do this. He would study people like you. And he would watch your walk with God. And he would take copious notes of how you were doing in your journey with God. He, he was very methodical. That's why they called him a Methodist. And so when he observed the Scriptures... And he observed people's experience in their faith walk with God. Here's the conclusion that he came to. Everybody who had become a Christian that he knew, everybody who had been forgiven of their sins and had been made right in the eyes of God and were now saved, he said all became aware. You listening to me? All became aware of remaining sin in their hearts. All became aware. And, and, and here's the language that he used about himself. He said, though I watched and prayed ever so much, I could not wholly cleanse either my heart or my hands. Though, he said, I watched and prayed ever so much, I could not in my own strength wholly cleanse either my heart or my hands. I, I still had sin in my life. Now, you might just say, well, okay, that's the deal. Maybe that's the way it is. Uh, I'm a Christian. Jesus has forgiven me of my sins, and I, you know, try to walk with Him, but 
I got some sin stuff going on, and it's sometimes not good, you know, and maybe that's just what I'm stuck with. Maybe that's just how life goes from this point. Maybe I just sinned. The only problem with that is there is an idea that runs throughout Scripture, and the idea is holiness, okay? In the Old Testament, the word is Kadesh. And Kadesh is translated for us holy. And it refers to God. It's this idea that God alone is holy. We use phrases like in theology to try to understand it like holy other. Like there is none beside God. God is in a class all by himself. God is holy. Now here's what's interesting. As you read the Bible, here's what God asks of you, okay? God says, I want you to be holy because I'm holy. So God is calling you and me to be holy. How in the world can we ever get to that place of holy? When we get to the New Testament, and and that idea, by the way, about belonging to God is what we call sanctification. It's that idea of being set apart. So, here's the deal. So, Courtney, you become a Christian, and God says, Okay, Courtney, you're mine. And God says, uh, I'm going to set you apart to live your life to serve me. And so, that's that idea of sanctification, that you're set apart, okay, for God. Now, in the New Testament... We are called again, the same language, be holy as God is holy. But in the New Testament, Jesus reveals to us by watching his life what God is really like. And we get this better picture of what it means to be holy. What it is to become like God in the life that he calls us to. And so we begin to say, you know what I think holiness is? I think it's Christ-likeness. I think it's when we start becoming more like Jesus. That's what it is to be holy. I think the question always rests here. How does a guy like Alex get to holy? How do you get to, you know, like holy? How do we get from where we are to holy? That's always the question. So let me, let, me, let me borrow from an old professor at a college that I un- went to, a university called Trevecca Nazarene University. Amen. I got one person in a whole room, you know. It's a lot like another great university called Southern Nazarene University. Oh, I figured I would get a shout out there, yeah. And so... He used a graph. So let's talk about our lives in terms of the graph. Okay, so this is where a person is born. So a while ago, you remember Jane was on the platform when we started the service, baby Jane? And, um, and so that's what we're talking about here, birth. This is when a person is born. We're not talking about spiritual birth. We're talking about physical birth. This is a baby, an infant, okay? We are born, okay? But we have been talking about what we believe, and we've come to this understanding that we are born in sin, okay? So in other words... In sin, my mother conceived me, David said. This is the idea of original sin. I am bent. I lean towards sin. I wish I didn't, but I do. In my birth, in my coming into this life in human form, I lean towards sin. Now, if you struggle with that idea, hang around with toddlers. And you'll understand that there's a lot of selfish desire, okay? Self-will kind of thing. But we come to this place where God does this incredible thing in us. He draws us to Himself. We respond to Him because He gives us grace to respond. We really do nothing on our own. It's all God. But we experience justification. Okay? So this is when you are born again. 
This is when you are made right in the eyes of God. This is when Jesus forgives you. I didn't do this on my own, but let me tell you something. Jesus changed me. When I was 19 years old, I went to an altar one Sunday night at my home church. And I'm just telling you, when I stood up and I walked away from that altar, I had been changed. I mean, I thought differently. My life was different. I was different. I was changed. So I was, I was born again. It was a whole new life for me. Now, here's what happens. After we experienced justification, a moment ago I talked about, but Rick, I sometimes am very disappointed in myself. Uh, I still am battling this battle with sin. It's like this. It's like sin still has power over me, okay? And just to be totally honest during this process, I, I sometimes, I want to sin. I mean, I, I like to sin. I desire to sin. And I don't like what's happening in me. But that's what's happening. Now, the good news is that progress is taking place. And it is a process. Because what happens is, God, in all of His goodness, doesn't just abandon me with this struggle that's happening inside of me. And everybody in the room can relate and you can say, I know after I became a Christian, I still struggled with sin. I understand that. But here's what happened. God, in all His goodness, would say, Hey, Rick. And I would say, yeah, Lord. And he would say, you remember yesterday? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, that's not what I want for you. I know, Lord, it's not what I want for me either. That's not the life I'm calling you to, Rick. And I say, I know, Lord, it's not the life that I want to be a part of. And he would remind me of scriptures that would say things like, um, we are no longer alive to sin, but we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, put away, put away those acts of sin, you know. And so, there were many times in that journey that I would say, you know what, Lord, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? And, and often the Lord would kind of say something like this. Would you surrender that to me? Would you just say, okay, Lord, I'm done with that. It's just no longer part of my life. And many times I would say, yes, Lord, I can surrender. Many times it was hard. God, I want to. I'm trying. I mean, I'm working at it. But this is a tough one. You know, I, this is hard. But, but just along the way, the Lord would just keep working in my life. And just keep blessing me. And just keep saying, hey, Rick. <laughs> yeah, last night was not good, man. I know, Lord. And the Lord was just faithful in all of that journey. And, and what was happening to me was that I was beginning to die to my own selfish desires. And I was beginning to die in regard to my love for the world. And I was beginning to die in regard to my love for things. But honestly, during that time, my love was mixed. I wish I could tell you I was right with Mr. Wesley, but I wasn't. I, my love was still mixed. There was mixed love in my life. I still loved the world. I still loved things. I still, I still loved my own selfish desires. You know? And it was that process of dying. 
And God is just faithful, and He just stays with you, and He just loves you. And when you fall off the wagon, you know what He does? He says, hey, come on, let's get back up. Let's put that out. Can I have that? Would you surrender that? And, and you go through this process of just surrendering to God, just total surrender to God. So let me tell you a story. Um, yesterday, I went to a hospice care center. And, and that, that trip is kind of the story of my life in some ways. I, I get that phone call pretty often. And the phone call goes something like this. Hey, uh, Pastor Rick, I, I don't mean to bother you, but, um, you know, somebody in my life that I love a great deal, a mother, a father, a husband, a wife, they're dying. Could you come get in my car and I head over to a house, a hospital, a hospice center? And I walk in the room and sure enough, that person is dying. I've been in that setting over a hundred times. And I come home, you know, and I tell Annette, yeah, they're dying. It's not going to be long. Yesterday I was with this wonderful man who's in our first service every week. His name's Dave, Dave Wedeking. In October he became ill. And he's right now in the last hours of his life. And I was by his bed yesterday and I prayed with his family, you know. But Dave's dying. I'm... I wouldn't be surprised if after the service is over, I've got a text that said, Hey, Pastor, just wanted you to know, Dave slipped away to be with Jesus. You know, he's dying. I mean, sometimes it's kind of, you know, like, I'll get a call and I'll rush out the door and I'll come home and Annette says, well, what would you think? And I'm like, I don't know. She's sitting up in bed eating donuts. I don't know how she's going to die anytime soon. You know, it's like she's doing pretty good to me. But sometimes, I mean, you know, you get the word the next day, she died. So after I pray with those people, do you know what I do? Lean in. I leave. How could you leave? They're dying because I don't know when they're going to die. It could be a day. It could be two. It could be three. It could be a week. And sometimes it is. And when John Wesley talked about this process of surrender, he said it's like a dying person. You're dying. You're dying. You're dying, you're dying. And then he said, you die. And in that sense, it's instant. This process of self-surrender builds and builds and builds. And finally, you're dead. It's like when Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. And, and it is no longer I that lives, but now, now Christ lives in me because I've like died to my selfish desires and to things and to this world. And, and now I'm just, it's all about what God wants. It's not about what I want anymore. And he says, when that happens, there's this, in this instant, oh, wait a minute, let me do this first, okay? He says, it is love excluding sin. It's love filling the whole heart. It's love taking up the whole capacity of the soul, okay? It's not mixed love anymore. For as long as love takes up the whole capacity of the heart, what room is there for sin? So I have died to myself, and now it is just, I love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind and strength. And he says when that happens, this experience occurs, and he calls it entire. It's a theological, systematic phrase, entire. You don't find it in the Bible, I mean. You don't find that phrase, but it's entire sanctification. It's as I have died to my own self-will, desires, things, the world, then in that moment, my heart is cleansed. I am filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and my life is forever different. Now, we've got to talk about what happens here, and that is maturity. Let me tell you a story. One, one time I was in a theology class with my professor, Dr. Dunning, that I mentioned a moment ago, and this guy raises his hand. We're talking about entire sanctification. And, and Dunning calls on the guy, and he says, uh, Dr. Dunning, is it possible that you come to a place in your life when you are sanctified that you, like, don't sin anymore? I mean, is that what this is all about? Is that what you mean when that happens? Do you mean that you don't, you don't sin anymore? Can you, can you get to this place to where you don't sin again? And, and Dr. Dunning was uh, kind of an interesting guy. Um, he was fair, but he wasn't easy. Like I remember one day walking out of a class and I said to my friend Dan, we'd just gotten our exams back, and I said, how'd you do on the exam? And he said, A. And I said, oh, man, you made an A? That's really good. And he goes, no, I didn't say A. I said eight. Eight out of a hundred. Okay, eight. Digit eight. <laughs> so he was fair. He, he was not a pushover. So this guy asked a question, can we get to this point that we don't ever sin again? And Dr. Dunning looked at him, and he just kind of locked eyes with him. It was a little bit intimidating. And he said, yes. And we're like, what? Did he just say? Did he just say you can get to a place that you never sin again? And then he just stared at the guy for what seemed like a minute, but I'm sure it was only 15 seconds. But we were all glad that we didn't ask the question. And then this grin comes across his face, and he says, as far as the intention of the heart is concerned. But unfortunately, as long as we are in this body, in the flesh, we are capable of sin. But it's different. Because now, I don't want to sin. See? In my heart, what I intend and what I really want is to honor God. What I really want is to not sin. What I really want is to please Him. Now, I'm human, and sometimes I will slip, and sometimes I will fail, but I will immediately go back and say, I'm sorry. But it's not what I want anymore. What I want is to not sin. What I want is to please God. And until... We come to this place when we actually experience physical death, and then we are glorified. That means we go to heaven. That, at that point, we fully become like Christ, and sin is no longer a possibility. Now, let me just talk to you for a minute, okay? There, there's some real hope here. But because some of you have kind of resolved yourself to the fact that I'm just going to be sinful. And I'm just going to keep letting God down. And I'm going to keep being frustrated. And there's something in my life that I want to stop and I just can't. And there's some things that I know I shouldn't do, but I just do it. There's hope. Let me talk to you about the cross. And let me talk to you about the resurrection. You understand, in the cross and the resurrection, sin and evil were completely defeated by Jesus. And that is a decisive act. Do you understand this? And because of the cross and the resurrection, you and I can have that power in which sin can be conquered. And what I mean by that is that sin no longer has power over you and it doesn't have a grip on you where you say, I, I, I just can't help it. I just sin like crazy. 
The power of sin has been broken. And, and God would have never said to you, okay, I want you to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind and your neighbors yourself if He didn't think you could do it. He's not, he's not some twisted God who goes around calling you to a life that He thinks you could never live. He's calling you to a life that He believes He can give you grace to live. And, and this is some really good news. Because there's people who are just feeling really defeated. And I just keep messing up. So, no, just listen to me when I go, Psst, hey, would you give that to me? Would you surrender that? Would you let that no longer be part of your life? And as you grow and as you're dying and you're dying and you're dying and you're dying, Wesley said, I've experienced many times when I've seen people who died. And in that instant, their hearts were made pure. And they continued to grow and mature in their faith. All right, now for the discouraging word. Because as I'm working toward this sermon, I'm feeling this heaviness in my heart. And it probably has a lot to do with the world that I live in, my society. As a society, we are so obsessed with comfort, right? And money. And entertainment. And the sensual. I mean, we're obsessed. That I realize when I stand here and I open God's Word and I talk to you about there is a deeper life. I realize that we're all terribly distracted. And I understand that in Paul's world, people were distracted. That's why he said, hey, don't conform to the pattern of the world, okay? You don't have to buy into all this stuff. But be transformed. So while my heart feels a little heavy, nothing's impossible with God. And, and you can live this deeper life. Here's one of my favorite parts of the service. You, you mind standing with me real quick? You mind doing that? I love it. I love it when we can just pray together before we go. And so that's what I want us to do today. And so you can pray about anything. Uh, this morning in our first service, um, we prayed for a, a young mom named Abby. She came down and, you know, hundred or a couple hundred people just got around her and we prayed for her healing. And if you want to be prayed for for healing today, you come and, and we'll pray for you for healing, okay? And there'll be pastors here that'll pray for you. Or if you want to become a Christian, you say, hey, Rick, I haven't taken that first step. I want, to, I want to become a Christian today. I want to be born again. When you talked about when you were born again, I mean, something happened to me. I want that in my life. Or maybe you've got a problem you're going through. You want to pray about that. Or as a family, you want to come together as a family and pray. You're so welcome to do that. We're going to do it this way today, though. If, if you want to be prayed for, or you don't mind people praying with you, or you want a pastor to pray with you, 
would you come to this side so there's a piano here that'll help us to make sure we're not confused you just come over to this side where the piano is the piano side and you kneel here or you walk up to the pastor who's standing here Casey's over there now you just they'll pray for you but if you really don't want some other people like together around you this morning this morning you would rather it be just you want to talk to God then I want you to come to this side there's the drum cage okay come to the drum side nobody is going to come and pray with you if they do I will go ask them to leave you alone this is just a place for you to come and not have to say here's what I'm praying about or have somebody lay their hand on your shoulder sometimes that's awesome sometimes it's not awesome and so today if you just want to come and have this honest conversation with God just want to talk to him maybe God's calling you to surrender something you just come over here okay so we're going to sing we're going to pray and if you want to come I encourage you to come you have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene visit us online at bethanynaz.org